Well, today you are in for a treat. Our very own Caroline Park, the kids and family pastor, is going to continue our series, How Do I Really Feel About God? Let's welcome Caroline. I'm Caroline, kids and families pastor at the river. Good to see you. So we've been on this great sermon series called How Do I Really Feel About God? And um, it has been really helpful to reflect on our understanding of God, examine our heart's attitude toward him, and try to move toward a deeper friendship with God. And last week, as part of the series, Charles talked about the first naivete and the second naivete. The first naivete is this stage of innocent trust where it's the golden past that a lot of us have, where we were hopeful and optimistic and uh, being close to God was effortless. But once we are out of that stage, which happens to everyone, unfortunately, it is not helpful to keep looking back and try to recapture that golden past. We don't want to stuck in the we don't want to get stuck in the past. We need to keep walking forward, keep following Jesus. And then at some point we will reach the second naivete where we fall in love again, but with more wisdom and depth and with our eyes open. It was really helpful Um, to hear this perspective from Charles, a new way of looking at life, because life after the first naivete can be challenging. There are good and beautiful things about it, but there are challenges, there are frustrations and disappointments. So it is good to remember that there is a different season waiting for us if we can keep moving forward. It's a big if, though, right? It doesn't really completely solve our problems here and now, does it? Because we can't will ourselves into the second naivete just because we know about it. So it takes patience and trust to stay on the journey. But when we keep walking in darkness, trying to trust in God, and the darkness goes on and on and on, Doubts creep in. Does God see what's happening? Will he ever intervene? Does he care? Is he even there? Is anyone there? Such doubts can creep in. And I think it's only human to feel that. So I want to talk about doubt today. It's a bit depressing topic. But I want to talk about it because it is something that everyone experiences from time to time. So if any one of us, you, have been feeling that, I want you to know that you're not alone. I want to talk about it also because I've been thinking a lot about it because I myself have come in touch with the feelings of doubt recently. I realized that I don't trust God as much as I thought I did, And there's more doubt than I realized. So let's talk about it, shall we? There's a story in the Bible where Jesus' followers also find themselves 
doubting Jesus. So let's take a look at this story from the book of Mark, chapter 4. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we are going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. So the setting is Jesus and his disciples were in a village and a crowd crowd of people gathered to hear him, to listen to him. He teaches them in parables and prays for them and heals them and it seems to be going well. They don't want Jesus to leave. The crowd is there. They're staying. And Jesus' disciples were probably excited and hopeful that maybe this thing would go viral. Maybe this time something really would happen. But then Jesus wants to go to the other side of the lake. So they may not have liked the idea, but follow him, leaving their small success behind. Maybe because they hope to experience something even bigger. They want something more from life, something greater than life can give. They think perhaps with Jesus, life wouldn't always be same old, same old, repeating their parents and their parents and parents' stories. So they follow him. They take Jesus in the boat, started to row to the other side with hopes and dreams to fulfill But the storm comes, and Jesus is sleeping. Many of the disciples were fishermen, so they know the water. They know how to handle the boat. So maybe they try to fight it off. They use their own skills, and they try to ride out the storm. But the storm gets stronger and stronger, and after a while, they realize that the storm is way bigger than they can handle. Waves break into the boat, filling it with water. They're all going to sink. They're all going to die. And Jesus just keeps sleeping. He's not doing anything about it. He's sleeping with his head on a cushion. It's like, what an interesting detail to include in this very short story we learn that Jesus was sleeping on the cushion. Did he bring the cushion into the boat so he can sleep? I don't know. I can feel the heat and the panic and resentment rising up in the disciples. Can you relate to this story? 
perhaps you have taken on journeys like this. Maybe you felt a calling from Jesus. You heard an inner voice, perhaps, or a higher being, and you followed. You took a risk for something more and something greater in life. Maybe you moved to New York pursuing a dream because YOLO, you only live once. My children will probably tell me nobody says that anymore, but... Um, or maybe you left your own hometown or your home country because you wanted more than it can give. Or it doesn't have to be about a grand adventure. Perhaps it's your own private journey of inner, toward inner peace and health. To finish school, maybe. To reach a place of forgiveness. Or giving up other things so that you could care for a family member or your children. We all go on these journeys, small and big, many times in our lifetimes. But then inevitably, challenges come our way. Things don't usually work the way we expect them to. We find ourselves in a storm. Does that resonate with you at all? Because it does to me. And I'm learning that it it is in this storm that our real feelings about God are revealed. It happens to the disciples as well. They finally wake up Jesus and yell at him, don't you care that we're going to drown? Do you hear the heat and the accusation in their tone? They have been trying to have a good attitude, perhaps, but can't take it anymore. They're all going to die anyway, so who cares about good attitudes? Doubts rise up in them. They're saying, I am doubting that you care about us at all, Jesus. I'm doubting that you're good to me or as powerful as you say. I'm doubting that you know what you're doing. Why did you make us cross the lake now? It was a decent village we were at. We could have stayed the night and had hot food. Jesus gets up and calms the storm and asks them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And often we take these questions as rhetorical questions. that Jesus was rebuking them for their lack of faith. But what if it's actually their genuine questions? And he's asking them because these questions can help the disciples. What if they are actually helpful questions? He's asking them, why are you afraid? Could it be because you don't trust me? Could it be that our doubt is a big source of our fear and anxiety? Can our feelings about God make us stressed out and anxious? If we feel that God is uncaring or inept, or if we doubt that he would intervene and help us in difficult situations, then it would really be all up to me 
to bring myself and others out of a crisis that we're in. That would drastically increase our stress levels and our fears. It's a lot of pressure and burden to carry, especially when the crisis is bigger than what we can handle, which is usually the case in life. So Jesus is not rebuking them for falling short, but he is inviting them to examine their feelings toward him and to consider giving over their burdens to him. The storm ends and they arrive on the other side of the lake. And the disciples were absolutely terrified. And I read this and I think that's ambiguous. Terrified in what way? In a good way or in a bad way? Terrified like he, they were in awe of Jesus or they were scared and fearful. Does that mean that they trusted Jesus more because of what happened or less? Will they continue to say yes to Jesus and follow him now that they're on the other side of the lake or shrink back because they're traumatized? They're still haunted by the near death experience. People cross water a lot in the Bible stories. Have you noticed that? When people cross a body of water in the Bible stories, it often symbolizes a transformative journey. They go through some kind of transformation in their identities and in their outlook in life. When the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, they were leaving the slavery and becoming the free people. When they crossed the Jordan River, they were going from being homeless to having a place to put down their roots and build their lives. So when the disciples cross the lake with Jesus here in the story, it seems to signal also a change in perspective, some kind of transformation in their relationship with Jesus and their approach to life, which makes sense because an experience like this will change you. People say things like, I will never be the same because something happens to us. When we go through a season of challenges and difficulties and disappointments and rejections, the experiences change us, right? The crisis, it changes us. And the important question is how Will it change us? The crisis will come and go. The storm will eventually end. But will we become the people who can love and hope more? Will we become the people who can take on more adventures with God? Will we become more courageous? Or will we become less able to love and hope, more fearful of risk? and even bitter. And this seems like an important question to me, a very important one. Because the more I think about it, the more I'm convinced that at least for me, 
My doubts are not just about my relationship with God or my religion. It's also about everything else. If God is uncaring and powerless, I am ultimately on my own to figure out my life. My children will be ultimately on their own to figure out their lives. That would affect every area of my life. The way I approach my struggles, my dreams, the way I interact and relate to people, whether I will choose for relationships or choose against them. It would mean for me that I give up on connection and love because I'll be living with the assumption that I am alone. And that is not who I want to become. I want to become someone who continues to grow and expand. I want to be able to love more, not less. Don't you? So if you are in a storm, in a stormy season of your life, and you feel like the boat is sinking and wonder if God cares or not, like I, like I have been, This too shall pass. Jesus is on the boat with you. Though it doesn't feel like that sometimes. So let's make sure that we become more loving and more powerful, more hopeful, and more fearless because of our experiences, not less. In the month of October... Um, Sarah and I led this class together called Tuesdays with God. So it was the five Tuesday evenings where we um, got together and tried different kinds of spiritual exercises to connect with God and converse with God. It was great. Um, the last, at the last class, Sarah had um, all of us read back all the things that we wrote in our journals during the course of our class for five weeks. So I was doing that, and I was reading, and I was struck by how persistently I was feeling stressed and overwhelmed. I knew I was stressed, but then reading back, you realize I just keep complaining and whining about it. Like every entry, I feel stressed. And it has been a tough season. Um, I've been feeling really swamped. I have three kids, and in this season, it feels like each one of them needs a little bit more from me. So I have a, a senior in high school who's applying for college. I have a freshman in high school adjusting to high school. I have a freshman in middle school who's adjusting to middle school. So a little bit more, and, you know, they add up. I didn't realize. I'm just doing a little bit more, but then I'm just one person. And recently, Charles, um, who, my husband, who has chronic back problem, has also been diagnosed with a minor herniation in his neck, which has been hard for him. Um, he's in, he was in a lot of pain. He's getting better. But that meant a little bit more for him as well. And a little bit less from him. 
So all of this together, put together, I was feeling very swamped and maxed out. But what was interesting throughout the journal is that I was not only stressed and whiny, but that there's this persistent theme of doubt, that I was questioning in every entry, are you going to do anything about it? Are you going to help me to God? And because I had a hard time trusting that God would do anything about it, I was carrying all the burden, which was more than I could handle. And as I dug deeper, I realized that doubt, the doubt had been building for some time. It's not a one-time thing. Years, uh, for years, we've prayed for, I've re-prayed for Charles back, and it's been 19 years, I think, we've been married, and ever since I met him, he had, um, he had the back problem, so we've been praying for him. There are good times, and there are worse times, but, you know, the fact is that it's still there, and it's, it's still a factor in our life that gets discouraging after a while. What was very interesting to discover is that what's happening in the country and the political atmosphere was also making me very stressed out, which I hadn't realized, is that it, the feeling that the headline news, it's getting worse and worse every day, it feels like, and that nobody really is in charge, no adult at least is in charge, that somehow... Um, nobody's really watching out for our well-being. Makes also real, I realize that that makes me feel insecure and stressed and feeling like, oh, I need to be the one who makes sure that we're okay. And these feelings have not completely gone away, but acknowledging and processing them certainly helped. So, I am in this journey myself of weathering the storm. And I wanted to share some practical suggestions, the things that, I, that have been helpful to me in this season with you guys. So the first suggestion is to confront God. The disciples tend to be portrayed in the story as, all the stories, as slow and dense. But there's... One thing that they are doing here is that they confronted Jesus. And for me too, what has been the most helpful in this season is taking time to talk and vent to God. So why don't we start? I would like us to take some time to do this. Why don't we start by filling in the blank here in this sentence. Don't you care that I blank. Now, if you were to confront someone other than God, I would probably encourage you to use a less accusatory tone. Maybe you can use an I statement, not a you statement. But great thing about talking to God is that he can take it all. There's one thing that I don't have any doubt about God is that he is not easily offended. So, Bring all the heat and be honest and think about how you'd feel in the blank. And think about it with this right tone. Don't you care that I... So I'm going to give you guys a couple of minutes 
to fill in that blank. And if you filled in that blank, hopefully that opened the floodgate for you. So you can continue to tell him your thoughts and your feelings. Tell Jesus like it is. So I hope that venting made you feel a little bit better. Being aware of how we feel about God is extremely important because unprocessed feelings will leak and affect our friendship with God negative, negatively. And really, our relationship with everyone. At the same time, feelings are not facts. Just because we feel something is true doesn't always mean that it is true. Our feelings are based on our own perspectives and narratives, which by definition are limited and subjective. It is our own um, vantage points. What's so helpful about writing our feelings down like this is that now that they are on the paper, we can have a little bit of distance. So let's acknowledge and own these feelings that we wrote down, but also hold them a little lightly. Because we want to be able to stay connected to our feelings and also connect to God's perspective at the same time. And sometimes we feel that there is this tension and are tempted to think either or. Either I have all the reasons to feel this way and it is all your fault, God. Or, oh, it's my weak faith and I'm just being ungrateful and sentimental. It's all on me. But neither of those approaches helps us. We want to be honest with our feelings and, and where we are at and connect with God's bigger reality. So we already told Jesus like it is and wrote to him. So now, if you will go along with me, go back to what you wrote and read. Observe your thoughts like, oh, this is how I've been feeling. It might surprise you. It did surprise me. So I'll give you one minute. And that brings us to our second step. Second suggestion is to ask him to expand your perspective. Now that we've wrote, our, about, wrote to God about how we feel and owned it, let's flip your page. And on the other side, there's a space where we can ask God to expand our perspectives. Ask him, what do you say about this, God? Help me understand. Expand my perspective. And write down what you feel God might be saying to you. It will take a couple of minutes. I hope this exercise helped you feel more connected to God. I encourage you to keep doing it, especially if you're in a season where you feel disconnected. 
My third and last suggestion is to build concrete proofs against your aloneness. And let me explain. As I said earlier, the way I feel about God affects the way I feel about everything and everyone. So when I feel that God is uninvolved and distant, and ultimately I am alone, I project that onto others. And I'm tempted to withdraw from others as well because I also feel that they are distant and uncaring. And when I do that, I'm setting up my doubt to become a reality in my life. Because when I feel like I'm on my own and I don't reach out and I don't ask for help from others, then people will not help me because they don't know that I need help. But then that would confirm my doubt in my mind, thinking, see, nobody cares. Do you see the vicious cycle going on? But as I said earlier, how we feel is not necessarily how it is. And contrary to our feelings, people are not mind readers. They don't know what we need unless we tell them, we express them. So this is one thing that I did last week to build proofs against my aloneness. I called a family meeting. So I gathered all my children and my husband and shared how I've been feeling. I've been feeling really mixed out. I am happy to support you and help you in these, little, in, in these areas that are going on in your life that are important. But they add up, and it's been really a bit too much. And I told them, what you can do for me, they were very understanding. They are in their teens, and my youngest is 11, so they understand. So, and I asked them, this is what you can do for me. I need you to do what you're supposed to be doing without me having to remind you and tell you. Because I am doing all that I am supposed to be doing, and I also have to remind you to do what you're supposed to be doing, then I am in charge of everything. And that is way too much for me to carry. Um, and feeling like if I don't remind you guys, nothing will really happen has been really difficult for me. So I need you to do this. And they, were, they said, okay. It was very specific. And they... It's something that they can actually do. So they felt like, uh, I can do this. And actually, since then, it has been so much better. I've been doing a lot less um, waking them up in the morning or you know, telling them to do their chores. They have been on, there, on, um, on, on them. It's more, more also that just by being able to tell them and that they hear me out, the very fact gave me so much energy and made me feel very encouraged that I, that day I baked a cake and I never bake a cake. <laughs> There's all this like surge of energy that I felt. I didn't know where it came from. I also compiled a list. Um, 
of people who I could ask for help if I, if it were some kind of emergency. It wasn't that I really needed some practical help there and then, but I listed the people name who I could ask for help if I really needed them. Like, I know they're not necessarily my best friends, but they would definitely help me if I needed help. I would help them if they needed help. So I wrote down the names and the list was pretty long. And that really encouraged me and that proof against my aloneness. It cleared the cloudiness in my mind and, and, and I could see that all the help and the support that I do have. And I was grateful to God for that. So reach out to those who can help you. Ask for help and be specific about it. I need this. So that they could actually do it. They don't have to guess. They don't have to figure out a way to help you. But be specific. Reach out to others who, to spend time with them as well. Because that helps us feel connected and cared for. And that in and of itself is the proof against our aloneness. Think of people who love you. And who would help you in any ways that they can. When we are stuck in a storm or a desert, we feel like our life is not going anywhere. There's no progress, and I'm just wasting time. But recently, I felt like God said to me, your transformative journey is progressing, is progressing as long as I am with you. It, it's not that... I am making all these achieve. I'm, I'm doing um, all these work or um, having milestones. It's just the fact that when Jesus is with me, the journey is going along. The disciples were stuck on the boat during that storm, but that was an essential part of their journey. They weren't wasting time. They were moving forward. They were growing during that time. Sometimes I'm tempted to think that, oh, I'm stuck because I don't have strong enough faith or I'm not getting something right. I'm failing some kind of test. But God is saying, don't you worry about those things, but just stay with me. Keep talking with me. We are moving forward. We are making progress. So let's shift our perspective and celebrate our progress, our quality time with God, even in our storms. Let's focus on staying engaged with God and staying connected to people who love, who people we love and who love us. So that this journey leads us to becoming the people that we want to be, becoming the people who can love and hope more deeply. Let me pray for us. God, um, we confess that sometimes we feel that you are not there. Sometimes we doubt um, that if anybody is out there and caring for us. But we want to move towards you. We want to continue to grow. 
we want to become the people who can hope and love more and more deeply. So I pray that even in the noises of the storm, I pray that you would break in and you would connect with us. You would speak to us and expand our perspectives and, and make us, continue to make us and heal us and lead us to uh, being all that you've created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.